Hello and welcome to Sip Sip Hooray, a sparkling podcast about wine and the people who make it. And we have a sparkling guest for you today. His name is Dan Person of Carbonese Wines. Dan is reimagining sparkling wine in California, a modern take on sparkling wine. And we're excited to get to know him and we are eager to have you do the same. We are two Marys who like to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm Mary Babbitt. And I'm Mary Orlin. And um, Dan, we are super excited to talk to you. I've been following the launch of your label when y'all first came out. And you and your wife, Jacqueline, are on a mission to shake up the bubbly world. Um, tell us about the inspiration behind that. What, what, are, what is your goal? Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, Mary and Mary. I'm very uh, excited to be here with both of you, and, and hopefully I can, you know, share what I think is excited, exciting about our brand, um, about our, our mission, as you say. And actually, I usually talk about it as my philosophy um, because, you know, I was working uh, working for the man, working for uh, some other wineries, um, and at the time I was working for Schramsberg, uh, making, you know, Schramsberg makes this fantastic very traditional champagne style uh, sparkling wine here in California. Um, and my whole thing was, you know, like, I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. Um, but I also think that if in California, if we're trying to be champagne, if we're trying to like be something that we're fundamentally not, you know, <laughs> champagne obviously is a region in, in France. Uh, we can't be a region in France because we're, <laughs> you know, we're California. We're a region in the United States. Um, like we should, we should rethink the 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 approach and the philosophy and and how are we going to make something that's uniquely California as opposed to something that is um, an homage to some other place. Sure, I mean, and then one major way we can't be champagne is we we certainly don't have the same climate here in California as they do in that northern part of France. Yeah, we're the same soil. Right. So tell us what what Carboniste is all about. What is the approach you guys are taking then? Right. So, you know, the the, the big thing that Mary just touched on, like we don't have the same climate. Like, and that's pretty obvious. You know, we have a lot more sunshine and heat in -hmm. California, even in our cooler regions. um, Like there's just, there's more heat accumulation. Um, and so what we try to do is we, we try to embrace that um, because no matter what you do, if you were to taste, you know, once you become sort of an experienced taster, if you taste champagne versus um, California sparkling, you'll always notice that there's more, I call it sunshine, but there's more of this fruit sweetness in the wine. Um, and so when I was working with Schramsberg, we we're always sort of like dealing with that. There's always like this, like this really strong perceived sweetness um, mm-hmm. you know, red fruits and orange fruits that you get in the, in the wine that you just don't get in champagne. Um, so I'm trying to find a way to respect that fruitiness um, and kind of reimagine the structure and, and, and the concepts around the wine. And so a big part to me where we get sweetness from our fruit and champagne doesn't really get that same sweetness, um, they get sweetness from their yeast. And so they when they age the wine, in bottle, you get all this nice sort of uh, brioche, yeasty sweetness, um, like red yeast that turns eventually into caramel. Um, And so I'm like, well, we don't need that because we've got fruit sweetness. And so what we'll do is we'll, we won't age as long. We're going to, we're going to age it a shorter time. So it's not so yeasty. Um, So it's really more focused on the brightness and freshness of the fruit. And to me, it makes, you know, a very different style of wine. Um, but a style that's quite refreshing and quite delicious for these, you know, our hot summer days and even like, you know, winter days, uh, Wednesdays, Sundays, whatever day of the week you want. <laughs> All um, days. <laughs> yeah. It's very like fresh wines because um, mm-hmm. they don't have that yeastiness. And, you know, I love champagne. It's one of my favorite things to drink. But I often find that like, you know, I get a bit of palate fatigue. Uh, particularly from like the the, the fancy champagne, the, the more expensive stuff is just too rich. Sometimes you don't you mm-hmm. don't always want something big and heavy. You want something that's delicate and light and and moves across the palate with energy. Well, certainly. And um, so, tell us about the um, ver- varieties you're working with, because they are, again, um, especially for your initial releases, 
your sparkling albariño. It's like, who does that? Um, <laughs> sh- champagne is, as many people know, is Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Menuet. But um, you're working with some different grapes. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, champagne cannot legally produce sparkling albariño. Like, you can't have a bottle of champagne, something labeled champagne that has albariño in it. They're, they're limited to a very specific group of varieties. Mm-hmm. Um, and in California, of course, like, in the U.S. in general, we, we had like zero legal definition of like what, you know, goes into a sparkling wine besides being grapes. And so we can add whatever grape we want. Um, and I had this sort of this this vision, this thought about Albarino, um, because my wife, Jacqueline, um, she was making some still Albarino. Um, mm-hmm. And from this one vineyard and you know, it's just so delicious. And I'm like, you know. I bet this would be good with bubbles. Like based on this concept of fruitfulness, this brightness, mm-hmm. this energy. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just do it. And so in 2017, we tried, you know, a couple tons. We made, we made a hundred cases, this tiny little production, just to see if this was a bad idea or not, you know, and it was great. Like it totally worked. People loved it. So we, we just kept making more and more and more. Um, you know, this last year we did about 50 tons. Um, of this Albarino and it's, it's great. You know, it's, people are drinking it. And not only are you introducing a different style of, of wine in, in Albarino, you're also, it's kind of a softer approach to sparkling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thing I noticed when I uh, received a bottle of your wine was that you don't have a cork. You have yeah. a, a, what do you call that? A, I guess a crown cap. Is that what yeah. they're called? They're like, exactly. they're like a beer cap that you would like pop off. Right. Tell me about that and how and how you decided to go that route. Why not a cork? Sure. Um, I mean, corks work. I mean, corks certainly were the best technology like a thousand years ago. Um, and legally speaking, if you're in Champagne, you 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 can only use a cork to seal your bottle when you sell it. Um, like they're they're legally compelled to do that. Um, they, you know, the funny thing is that basically 99% of champagnes will be bottled with a crown cap for their aging process. Right. So when they stay in the cellar, when they, when they're, when they're aging Surlot, they're under a crown cap. Mm-hmm. There's, oh. a, there's a small number that actually use cork at that point, but it's, it's, it's a very small number. Um, and then when they actually disgorge, they expel the yeast from the bottle uh, and reseal it. Then they put a cork in. And oh, so, I had no idea. That's interesting. Yeah. The cork is really just like a like a, a branding thing. Yeah, um, decorative. It's, it's the branding element. It's just decoration, mm-hmm. exactly. Sure, sure. Well, <laughs> you know, how can you have sparkling wine without being able to pop the cork? But I guess we, you can pop the crown cap and still get you know some of that celebration or excitement, can't you? Oh sure, you can savor it just as well too. Ah. Um, yeah, super easy to savor. Um, and so, well, you know, we kind of approach it from like, is it the same quality? Are we going to be like, you know, is it good for the wine? Um, because I'm, you know, I'm a technical winemaker and my background is always just like, well, how can we ensure quality? Um, and the crown cap actually does a better job ensuring quality than a cork does. Um, and we've done, done trials on this, you know, there it's, it's inert, you know, you're it's never going to taste like an old soggy piece of wood that you've jammed in the top of your bottle. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what a piece of cork is. Um, it's a I've piece of wood. Of, and, I've never thought of cork like that. <laughs> well, I mean, it kind of is. And then you're right, the, old, you're right. the longer you age the wine with a cork in it, the more that wine tastes like cork. Mm, yeah. Um, even if it's like not TCA, right? It's not uh, a cork taint, but it's still, mm-hmm. it takes on a woody flavor. Like you're extracting tea. And you keep extracting that little piece of wood longer and longer and longer, you're going to get more and more flavors out of it, particularly with a sparkling wine, which the, the, the sparkling wine tend to have a um, like lower density of flavor, right? There's a, a thinner veil uh, of flavor there, unlike a Cabernet Sauvignon or, or, or like a Zinfandel that may have a lot of flavor and you, um, the, the little bit of cork flavor isn't going to give you much flavor in the wine mm-hmm. relatively. Over mm-hmm. sparkling wine, what I saw with Stromsburg, wines that had been aged for a long time under cork, so say more than 10 years, mm-hmm. if you kept, like, you would taste something more like mushroom. There's mm-hmm. like a, a forest mm-hmm. floor sort of woody flavor 
Um, hmm. And it, I don't think it improves the quality of the wine. Um, yeah. Okay. You said also that you're Carbonese, you don't, you're not meant to age these. I was going to ask you about the aging process with the crown cap, uh, but sure. I think well, I heard you say that you're not meant to, that you want people to drink these, you know, fairly soon. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do want them to drink them like fairly soon. I want them to, to drink it and then to go buy some more. Like, you know, that's just, <laughs> just part of the experience. Just, there's no point in aging this wine necessarily. Um Particularly for the Albarino. The Albarino is a young wine. It's meant to be consumed young. It's like a it's like a, um, a Sauvignon Blanc for most people, where the younger it is, the more bright and fruitful and energetic it is. And mm -hmm. as it gets older, it becomes more neutral. You lose some of that youthful varietal character. Mm -hmm. um, you know what makes it Albarino kind of diminishes, and it just tastes more and more like white wine, which is still a tasty wine, but it's not quite as distinct. You know, sure. It loses some distinction. Now, and, we, we we have a set of reserve wines as well, um, and those wines are made from Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, and those age wonderfully. Um, we released our first set of them about a year ago, and they're they're better now than they were a year ago. Interesting. Wow, that's great. That have, does that have something to do with using Pinot and Chardonnay versus other grapes such as the Albarino? Sure, yeah. Like, it's... It's almost more like um, what makes the wine charming? Like, mm -hmm. where does the charm come from? And with Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, I find like they're very much um, like a, um, a rose blossom where it starts out very tight and then it, it opens up progressively further and further and further. And it's just really, you know, eventually becomes this, this big, open, beautiful thing um, and eventually falls apart. Um, but it takes time. It, like, it doesn't open up immediately. Um, mm -hmm. where Albarino is a, is a little spring flower that kind of pops open and it's there, you see it, and then it's, it's gone after a couple months. Like it, it's a very evanescent quality um, where after a couple of years, the Albarino is, is done. And the Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, they continue to build complexity um, and beauty the more they age, you know, to some limit. Sure. I love that analogy to the different flowers. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, so Carboniste, uh, what is, what does the name signify? What's the inspiration behind the name? Yeah. Um, well, that was tricky. I mean, it's always hard to like figure out a brand name. Um, and to me, I, I had to come up with something clever. Um, and it comes down to like, um, if it were, if, if we were speaking French, uh, Carboniste uh, would be like the person who puts the bubbles in the bottle. So oh, okay. we, we are, my wife and I are the carboniste or the yeast <laughs> or the carboniste. Like we're kind of like the people working with the bubbles. Well, and speaking of your bubbles, they're softer than a traditional mm -hmm. champagne. Tell me about that. Yeah. And so we can, we can control that by how much sugar um, is in the wine when we bottle it. Um, because the yeast are going to consume that sugar and produce CO2 in bottle. And so the amount of CO2 is directly proportional to the amount of sugar um, that's in the wine when we bottle it. Um, and to me, with these sort of young style wines, um, we want lower pressure. We want lower amount of CO2 in there. Um, you know, if you're going to allow your wine to age for 10 years and that higher pressure will integrate better, um, it'll actually work perfectly fine. Um, but with younger wines, you really don't need that much. Like, you know, at, at that lower pressure tier, they're still like really um, entertaining wines, still really amusing. They're fresh, they're bright. And if, you, if it had more CO2, if it had more pressure, um, it would taste very uh, coarse and aggressive on the palate. And it just doesn't need that. Wow. I like it. I I, I really enjoyed the softer bubble, and um, yeah. I, I found it very drinkable. It was really nice. Absolutely. Yeah. We've so. got a uh, sorry, Mary. We've got a sparkling red wine that we do as well. Um, oh. That I do at even lower pressure, mm -hmm. because where like red wine has a bit more tannin, it has a bit more texture to it of its own. More bubbles would be bad. Like it, it'd be mm -hmm. like you know, it'd be um, something that's aggressive on top of something that's aggressive. You know, you, you don't want to. You want to be mindful of how um, how much is going on in the wine at once. Well, sparkling reds are something that are becoming more and more popular. I mean, it used to be that 
people kind of turn their nose up at sparkling reds, either mm -hmm. you know, sweet Lambrusco or the sweet sparkling Shirazes from Australia. But um, yeah. that that's changed. Tell us about yours. Um, so it's funny. To me, I always think of sparkling red wine as a non-category in the U.S. Like it's not like, – I don't think there's more than a couple pallets of sparkling red wine sold in all of the United States. You know, it's, it's not a very large quantity, um, and there aren't very many examples. Um, like you were saying, you can get some sparkling Shirazes, and you can get some um, Lambruscos, um, but we don't really think of them. You know, there's not, you know, we certainly never see a category on a wine list unless it's like a very special wine, uh, restaurant. Um, and so to me, I was thinking like, you know, it's a clean slate. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to use Syrah. I don't have to, I, I, know I can't really use Lambrusco varieties because they're not grown here. Um, you know, so I kind of have to like, figure out for myself, like what would fit into my portfolio? Like how would I engineer a red wine from the ground up? Um, and for, for us, it kind of happened on accident where um, my father-in-law has a Merlot vineyard um, and normally he just sells his fruit. And one year he wanted me to make some, some wine for him because he wanted some you know, wine to give away at Christmas, et cetera. Um, and so I made him a couple barrels and I was tasting that wine at Thanksgiving after harvest, so a very young wine. And we also had some of our sparkling Albarino on hand. And I'm like, you know, like there's certain elements here that would probably work together. And I just like did a little blend on the on the dinner table, and it worked really well. Like I was like, holy cow, this is this is delicious. Oh, I love <laughs> <You know>? that. <laughs> yeah, it's like you, you got peanut butter in my chocolate. You got chocolate in my peanut butter. Like all of a sudden, we had Reese's Pieces. There you and go. I'm like, fantastic. Oh, and so we that's had, hilarious. <laughs> yeah, we got this blend of, of Merlot and Alperino that's like, it's, it's red wine, but it's also really fresh and bright and lifted. Um, you don't really taste the Alperino. You don't taste the Alperino. It's all sort of Merlot aromatics, um, but the texture is more Alperino or it's more delicate um, and energetic. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes those off-the-cuff experiments turn out to be amazing. Isn't that yeah. the truth? That's so cool. Well, you know, yeah. you, and you're kind of, um, you are hitting a wave of like the interest in sparkling wine, I think, has gone way up uh, in, in the U.S. I don't know about globally, but I think you see people drinking more and more sparkling in the yeah. rise of the different Proseccos and even sparkling water. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a gajillion sparkling water, so you are, uh, your timing is good to... You guys are a relatively young uh, winery, right? What do you? How long have you been doing this as Carbon East? Yeah, well, our first vintage was 2017. Okay. So yeah, so yeah, you got four perfectly. Well timed yeah. to uh, <laughs> to take advantage of everybody's interest in bubbles. You know, I think people are looking for something refreshing and uh, that light, that lightness that you spoke of, and just the uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think you kind of hit it on the head with um, prosecco. Um, and Cava, they kind of, they helped to change the paradigm where everyone was thinking champagne. And champagne, for the longest time, has always marketed itself as a trade organization. They've always marketed themselves as a special occasion wine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is something for New Year's and Christmas, et cetera, which is like, to me, like, if you want to make a lot of wine, it's a bad idea, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you don't want to be special occasion. You want to be every occasion. Uh -huh. um, you want Wednesday to be your occasion. So um, Prosecco coming at a lower price point, it, you know, I think has helped train the consumers that, hey, you know, we can drink sparkling wine anytime. Um, and I think that's great. Um, I think it's wonderful. And I think that as people kind of, you know, graduate from Prosecco um, and realize there's, there's some really interesting mid-tier sparkling wines um, that like are great quality at a, at a, at a reasonable price. Um, I think that's where there's going to be a big growth in the market. Mm -hmm. Well, I think also what you are doing with Carbon East, it, you're making it more approachable just with the packaging, with the crown cap. That's yeah. easy to open. You don't have to worry about a cork shooting out and taking somebody's <laughs> eyeball out. Right. right. <laughs> and, you hear that happens. It happens. Yeah, no, it does. <laughs> it, it does. And also your labels are just super fun, oh. super great. Yes. Um, oh. The illustrations and... Uh, tell us about that, and um, there's a marine theme, um, at least the, uh -huh. the bottles you sent us. Mm -hmm. Right, and so Loved we've it. got our uh, 
Thank you. I've got our, we've got our critter series is how I talk about it. We've got like our reserve series and our critter series. And the critters, um, we've got an octopus, a sea urchin, a mackerel, and then this sort of like really strange looking um, fish that was based on a, a sculpture that I saw somewhere. Um, and, and each one of the illustrations was done by a different artist. Um, so I had them produced um, for the labels. And the idea was to kind of like capture a different energy, a different color scheme to kind of like match what I felt like the wine was trying to do. Mm. Um, but at the same time, keep them within a set so they kind of fit, you know, next to each other in a wine cellar or on a, on a shelf somewhere. They kind of like work as a set together. Um, and that was a really fun process. And we're still we're still making more of them. We have some some other labels in design right now. Um, oh, they're really beautiful. They're really, really yeah. fun. It's well, not it that fun. It, it should be. And it's not that traditional label with the beautiful calligraphy or font. Right. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's um, not as intimidating, right? Yeah. yeah. Very clean and it's, and and that's, like I, I touched on earlier, like it's part of our philosophy. It's, it's this modern sparkling wine. It's not being beholden to the traditions of what people usually do. Um, you know, what are the expectations on us? And it's like, I'm not concerned about expectations beyond quality. Like people expect us to be high quality and that's, that's all I really care about. Um, otherwise, like I'm happy to surprise people. Oh, I love that. The surprise of it. Okay. So I had, <laughs> that's a great way to put it. I had um, some of your mackerel uh -huh. sparkling, the mackerel sparkling wine and holy mackerel. It was delicious. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that was a pet gnat of Pinot Grigio. Can you explain yes. that to to me and to our other listeners who might be sure. curious what that pet gnat means in out of yeah. Pinot Grigio. Is that also an unusual one to put in a sparkling? Um, it kind of is. Like it's mm -hmm. Pinot Grigio is, is is technically a grape that you can use in champagne. Okay. Um, but it's not frequently used. Um, okay. it's, it's it's an uncommon champagne grape. Um, and pet gnat is a different method. So that's a methodology of producing sparkling wine where Traditional method, um, as I alluded to before, you're bottling it sweet, um, the yeast are fermenting, you're disgorging it, um, you're, that is, disgorging is removing the yeast sediment. Um, with pet nap, there's a lot of different interpretations of, of what that means, but it's a, an ancestral method. They, they, say, they call it method ancestral sometimes. Um, the idea being that historically, um, a vigneron, a winemaker, maybe they bottled the wine up before it it didn't uh, finish fermenting. Um, and so it finishes fermenting in bottle, okay. um, which, you know, there's kind of like a sense of like, maybe that was accidental. Um, you know, it, it, you know, maybe your cellar got too cold and it was time to sell the wine. Um, so you're bottling it and it starts re-fermenting all by itself. Um, and that's kind of like the, the, the historic, the ancestral concept around pet nat. Um, okay. And so it's a, it's a naturally, sparkling wine um and so what we do um to honor that tradition um is to you know during harvest once the juice gets down to a certain sugar level we then bottle it right away and so it gets bottled super young um and it ends up with a a bit of a different style um texturally because it, it lasts it sits on the yeast longer um and kind of develops a bit more um, yeast complexity. Um, it also is a native ferment, and so it has some more complexity from some, uh, it goes through malolactic and bottle, um, and just has a bit more um, sort of sauvage character. Although there are many pet gnats on the market um, that are quite, uh, quite, wild <laughs> yes they're uh, yeah you have to open them with caution yeah. <laughs> oh yes oh mary i can tell you about some pet nets so um just so everybody listening knows pet nat if you're not familiar with the term it's short for petulant natural and it's um really become popularized by the natural wine movement and it's really taken off in california and you know um, most um, folks who, even if they're not a sparkling wine house per se, you might see a pet gnat from um, still winemakers because there's, you know, you don't have to have the champagne 
or sparkling wine making equipment. You don't have to age it for very long in the cellar. And it's something that um, also has a crown cap traditionally. Um, but, and Dan, you can probably mm -hmm. explain this better than I can, but um, when you talk about wild, um, sometimes um, producers will just leave all the um, yeast that's left over from fermentation. And sometimes it hasn't completely fermented dry before somebody opens it. And mm -hmm. so um, the wine, if you don't have it chilled to the right temperature, really, really chilled, um, if it gets a little bit warm, um, when you pop that crown cap, it will just shoot out, kind of like I'm um, putting Mentos <laughs> in Coca-Cola, right? Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, so, some some producers um, certainly uh, make wines that gush more, some pet naps gush more. Um, ours think we don't gush. Um, you know, we're able to kind of apply some of the um, technical uh, sparkling winemaking techniques to it to avoid that. Um, and, you know, a lot of pet net producers approach it as like, it's low tech sparkling. Uh, they're not really like putting in the inputs because they're natural wine producers. They're not really putting in the inputs to help ensure that the wine will finish fermenting or that won't uh, gush when you open it. Um, and so we, we kind of have a couple of things that we do to, to ensure quality um, and ensure the customer's experience so that it doesn't, doesn't lead that way. Um, yeah. It can be a very also, wild experience. I was also impressed with that wine. Not only was it really uh, a beautiful wine, fresh and clean and uh, just really lovely, but I also appreciate the fact that it's a lower alcohol wine, your mackerel. And, um, you know, I, I think in terms, you know, when you're looking for your weeknight wines, that's a nice thing yeah. to have a lower alcohol, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we got we have wines down to 11% alcohol. Um and, you know, a Napa cab is going to be 15%. It's, it's quite a bit mm -hmm. higher. Yeah. Easier on the system. So one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, Dan, was that um, you work with your wife. So tell me about the partnership and how and who does what and how that works out with the two of you working together on Carbon East. Yeah. Well, it's really cool. So we, we actually originally met in wine school at Davis. Um, oh, nice. We're both, you know, classically trained winemakers. Um, and she's generally worked for larger wineries, um, and I've generally worked for smaller wineries. And so it's it's been a, sort of an interesting complementary skill sets um, to combine. And so I handle most of the um, uh, the operations, the day to day, because we have we have um, two kids now, and so she's handling the day to day of the household household administration. Okay. Um, and as well as our business administration. So she's handling all the, the money and um, we, we coordinate on a lot of like sort of higher level winemaking projects together. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I'm, I'm responsible for kind of like making things happen at the winery. Um, okay. Yeah. And it's been a good, it's been a good um, relationship in that way because um, we have a, a kind of a clear division of labor. Um, you know, we work together on the concepts and the tastings and um, trials. Um, and then I can, you know, I'm responsible just for making things actually happen. Um, and it's interesting though, because as we grow, you know, we just hired an assistant and we're, we're certainly um, kind of everything, everything, sorry, everything is evolving as we go along. Mm -hmm. I think it's so cool that you guys can do it together. And, um, you know, create this business together and that you've built yourself. And it's really, um, I think it adds to the partnership of a marriage when you've got that, this thing you're doing together, this common cause and, you know, yeah. and I'm sure it's exhausting because now with two kids, <laughs> how old are your children? Uh, five and a half and one and a half. Oh, oh my boy. goodness. So you're in the throes of all that. So you guys are probably running on not a lot of sleep most of the time between the winery and uh and your children that's a lot right exactly yeah we're busy oh, yeah. <laughs> it's true so are you able to do um find time outside of making wine to relax enjoy get away from things what do you like to do if you can ah well we uh, we actually just got back from vacation um we went up to to uh, lopez island in the san juans oh, uh, nice. doing uh i help with a fireworks show every year um you do yeah, exactly. How so did we, you get to, wait, tell me about that. How did you get involved in 
fireworks well, show and how do you know how to help with a fireworks show well anyone can help um <laughs> it, it, it's volunteer um but it, yeah it's it's just been a process uh my i have a buddy who's actually the like pyrotech on that okay. show um uh -huh. he he holds a license for that and so you know he invited me up uh once back in 2013 and i've been coming back every year um, to help twist wires and and uh, light fuses what is the danger so, factor on a, a volunteer job such as that is well, it risky it, you know it, it's funny because he always does this thing where, where you know he, he gives you this this form to sign when you get there that's like hey you know if you blow yourself up it's not my fault oh, um, ah! oh lord and, i think and, i know, would run yeah but you know he like hands me this 12 inch shell so it's like the size of a basketball which is just mm -hmm. a you know high explosives a, a you know a That's... basketball full of high explosives and it's like if you drop this you're you, you will be red mist oh my um, god whoa but <laughs> otherwise like <laughs> otherwise piece of cake right yeah wow. but realistically like we're oh pretty safe with it you know there's you know we're very safe around the the actual explosives and you just have to, you know, take certain measures to, um, you know, you never put anything over the mortar, the, the gun. You don't put anything over the gun you want to keep. And so you just kind of be very mindful of where the explosives are. And then this is viewed, your show is viewed where? And who gets to, you know, is it a big crowd that comes out to see your fireworks show? It's a good sized crowd. We're up on uh, Lopez Island, which is up in the San Juans in, in Washington. So mm -hmm. close to Vancouver Island. Um, oh, Okay. Yep. And uh, it's good. It's the largest community-supported fireworks show on the West Coast. What? Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so it's a not it's a nonprofit. It's just community-supported, and they do but they do a lot. It's a big show. Wow, that's great. Well, you know, good I can you. see the connection between sparkling wine and fireworks. You know, they're both kind of you know celebration, explosive. Oh yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It's a lot of fun. So that's, that's kind of our vacation. Nice. Oh, do you wow. have any other hobbies or things that you do when you're not uh, making wine or oh. watching your kids? We have a, a, a large vegetable garden in the backyard. Um, we, we've been, we have a quite, a quite a serious vegetable garden going now Good um, for you. that we, we've been working on, which has been great. And so um, do you do a lot of cooking? Yeah, every, every night, you know, we got got to feed ourselves um <laughs> yeah and so it's, it's great because most of the meals come right out of the garden um That's you know great. we have eggs we're not producing our own protein otherwise um but um all the vegetables are from the backyard and where is the where is carbon east itself the winery located so it's kind of neat um, because we're a startup winery. Um, you know, we don't necessarily have, we're all bootstrapped and, and self-funded. Mm -hmm. um, we don't necessarily, you know, we can't afford a, a big fancy winery for ourselves. And so we actually have what's called an, an AP, an alternating proprietorship. So we're a, a winery within another winery where we do all of our own work, but we're inside of a larger winery. Um, okay. And we have like, I have 800 square feet, which is like our, like individual lease space that we do our, all of our our bottling and disgorging in, um, mm -hmm. but then we're able to warehouse um, in the larger winery on a, on a piece basis. So as we grow, we just pay more for more storage. And you're located in Napa. Um, oh, I just have a question about some of the um, other vineyards you work with. I was reading that, well, I know that you have a um, more of a, you've done some, more um, vineyard-based bottlings, and you have one from the Coralitos region, which is in the Santa Cruz Mountains, um, and a place that I think is very special, and I know Mary does too, because um, mm -hmm. we've, lived, we've lived and worked in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Um, and I read that you're planning to do more um, bottlings with um, fruit from, San from um, the Coralitos region specifically, so tell me about that, yeah. I'm really curious. Right. And so, yeah, Coralitos, I think, is, is one of the best regions, regions in California for sparkling wine base. Um, you know, there's not a lot coming out of there. Um, a lot of Santa Cruz is sort of mom and pop wineries. Um, and they can be a little bit hit or miss. Like, there's some great stuff. And then there's, like, some stuff that could have been better, I think. Um, and mm -hmm. a lot of the viticulture is still 
sort of cowboy viticulture. Um, it's not quite as professionalized as Napa or Sonoma. Um, and that, that's a good thing and a bad thing at times. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't, you know, there, being in Napa, it's great to like, ha- there's certain things that are great about having professionalized viticulture and then other things that are a bit, you know, not as romantic, um, mm-hmm. certainly. So it's a double-edged sword, but it works. It cuts both ways on both ends. Um, you know, with the more cowboy viticulture, it can be a lot harder to get fruit harvested. Like there's not enough labor to actually like get your stuff picked. <laughs> like that's kind of like the, the, the worst thing that happens. Um, but anyway, I think that Coralitos is fantastic. We've got um, a 2018 that we've uh, released about a year ago. We've got another one coming out, um, our 2017 actually, which is a bit strange. We went backwards in vintages um, for various reasons. Um, so the 17 is coming out this fall. We've got, you know, 19, 20, uh, 21 are going to be coming out in the future. Um, but then we've also got some other, I, I wanted to do like a study of Santa Cruz. And so we did, um, we have a, a couple of vineyards in Coralitos, three vineyards in Coralitos, um, a fourth one this year. We've done a, we have a vineyard up on Loma Prieta, up mm-hmm. sort of on the ridge line. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, and so we've got uh, one coming from there. And then we've got a vineyard coming from like the Bonnie Dune area. Okay. Nice. Um, ben Loman. Um, and that's a, that's a Blanc de Blanc. And then, mm-hmm. so the, the sort of like, if you think about Santa Cruz, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big area. Right. Um, and famously there's like the Ridge Montebello. You know, yes. they've got this like really famous Cabernet Sauvignon coming from the sort of the northern part of the, the Appalachians toward Cupertino. Um, mm-hmm. And but then you've got these really like fancy like Pinot Noirs. And it's it's kind of odd to have those in the same AVA, but really because it's just like such a big area. Um, and so there's there's parts of it that are, are great for different reasons. Um, and so, you know, seeing our Loma Prieta versus our um Coralitos, they're just totally different wines. Where Loma Prieta is up on top of the ridgeline, much more exposed, higher elevation. Um, you know, it's above the inversion layer. Mm-hmm. Then you get down towards Coralitos, where it's like in the fog most of the time. Right. Very, very um, influenced from the Monterey Bay, and the soil in Coralitos is all sand. It's like beach sand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're just, it, it's really fun for me to make these like small wines that are expressive of, of a very small, you know, special place. It, you know, one thing that's one thing I always struggle with at Schramsberg where we'd have these like great lots, but then those great lots would all just get thrown into like big tanks. Because, right. you know, we had to make 35,000 cases of the Blanc de Blanc. Right. Okay, well, throw them all in, in like, you know, 10 big tanks and blend it all together. And those smaller lots can be so much more expressive of the, right. the fruit. So as you grow, are it, are you continuing to source new vineyards and stuff? And and in fact, I don't actually even know how big you guys are now, how many cases you produced last year. And I, I know that you grew, I read that when you started, you did like 750 cases. And then a couple of years, you're up to 3,000. And uh, I'm sure you've grown since then. So where are you going with this? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah, we're currently somewhere around 5,000, but it's like, it's a slope. We're somewhere on a slope somewhere. Um, and so what's cool is that like, now that, um, you know, we appear to be in recovery from COVID as, as a, as a country and as a, uh, a, a market, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're really starting to see restaurants coming back online and, and buying wine again. Um, you know, our sales are, are picking up quite aggressively, which is fantastic. Um, you know, because we do a good amount of wine um, to restaurants. Um, oh, nice. That's that's a way that I'm. That's a way that I think is really good for for consumers to find us. Right. Um, and so we're we're kind of right now we're kind of focusing on our fundamentals um, and growing the SKUs that we have demand for and that have good um, financials for us. So the the Pet Nata Grigio and the Albarino are kind of our two big hitters at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love our, our small reserve tier stuff, but, um, you know, those things are very new and we just haven't found the market for them yet. So we're continuing to, you know, to sell those and, um, 
you know, find the consumers for them. And, you know, people are, are buying, you know, certainly through COVID, we're buying down market. Um, so they're, they're, they're looking for things that are a bit more affordable, which is, you know, why the Albarino works so well. Sure. And mm-hmm. then the price point on your Albarino, that is what, $24? Is that correct? 28 on the Albarino. Okay. Yeah, and 24 yeah. on the Pinot Grigio. Oh, okay. I knew there was a 24 in there somewhere. Yeah. But, you know, those, those are, that's terrific, especially compared to what some California sparklings can be. Well, and even your reserve wines, the Brut that I tried, which was fantastic, and it had kind of some of those toasty notes. It was richer, yeah. I think, a, a richer flavored wine than um, than the mackerel. Um, yeah. It's what, it's under 40, isn't it? Right, thirty six. Yep, thirty six dollars. I mean, that's uh, a great price. Yeah, and you know, making the brood and making the reserve wines, they have to be a little more expensive because you know they take longer. You're aging them longer, and the the fruit themselves, the fruit itself, like Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, is more expensive. Um, and so, sort of all of the inputs are just marginally more expensive, and so we have to 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 list them at a higher price. Mm-hmm. So, I want to know what you prefer to drink your Carboniste wines out of um, the traditional mm-hmm. champagne flute, a coupe, mm-hmm. or a regular wine glass? Hey, good question. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So I, the coupe is a lot of fun. The coupe is like a party glass. You know, yeah. that's the, the Marie Antoinette. Um, right. And I enjoy that. It's not my, my Wednesday night glass, though. Um, I usually just, I have like a, like a white wine glass. Not quite the, the full-size red wine glass, um, but just an all-purpose, um, you know, relatively small wine glass works great. Um, that kind of keeps all of the aromatics focused. Um, it's kind of a smaller um, smaller bulb. Um, and um, you do want something that closes in at the top a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So something that has um, not just a, a wide aperture, um, but closes down. Uh, that more helps like to... A, more like a tulip shape? Yes. Um, and so something that closes down a little bit um, you don't need like a big 25 ounce Riedel or something. Um, oh, darn. Yeah, we don't need it. It, it works <laughs> fine. It, it does work. Um, but to me, sometimes the bigger glasses, the aromatics can get lost. Um, yeah. and that, the thing, that's the thing with the flute, the flute, like doesn't, you can't really get your nose in there. You know, like it's not mm-hmm. meant for that. It's meant just for drinking rather than smelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I like to smell my wine. So I like your recommendation. Yeah. And otherwise, it tastes good out of whatever you want to drink it out of. Sometimes we drink yes. it out of like a water glass, and it works fine there too. Sure. I know, right? That's I think, and especially if you're outdoors, mm-hmm. I you know, maybe the red solo cup is too big, but <laughs> it have to be a flute. It, it, it works. Good. Yeah, it, it works. works. <laughs> It'll get you there. And um, since um, your wines are not traditional, you know, traditional pairings, caviar and lobster and things like that, and even you know. What beyond like the fun stuff, like, you know, people know potato chips, fried chicken, burgers, pizza, tacos. Um, what are the fun things or, you know, non-traditional foods do you like to pair with your wines? Yeah. Um, so personally, like I always tell people potato chips, like classic mm-hmm. Lay's. There's like the really simple potato chips because um, they provide like a, a salt and crunch and something to actually help kind of cleanse your palate. Um, they got the very like simple, basic um, pairing. And if you want to go as far as to put a little caviar cream friche on top of your potato chip, like that works well too. I mean, caviar works because it's, it's salty right. and, and mm-hmm. fairly clean. Um, like that sort of saltiness um, works really well with sparkling wine. Um, when you get into like heavier, greasier foods, it can be more complicated as mm-hmm. to like what works for rich wine. Um, but to me, like, you know, you see our wine labels, it's got the octopus, it's got the mackerel. Um, those are good pairings, mm-hmm. like grilled fish. Um, I think it work, works really well. Any, any sort of like fresh food um, that's not too flavorful in itself, um, I think works really well. Um, Interesting. Yeah, you know, kind of delicate flavors. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So what's next for you, Dan? What do you guys, um, as you look on the horizon, what are you seeing for your your operations or your next um, your next exploration in the world of different varieties in sparkling? 
Yeah. Um, well, we, you know, we have some sort of like some wine geeky sort of new things that we're working on. Um, but you know, there's, there's all the, the biggest thing that, that we're currently dealing with is like the, the growing pains, you know, we're trying to figure yeah. out like how to grow as a business and do that, like as bootstrapped and tiny and like we're hired, you know, we got to figure out who we need to hire doing what role. That's been my big focus at the moment. Um, we've got some interesting wines upcoming, um, some new vineyards this year that I'm quite excited about. And just, it's incredible how sort of complicated the whole thing <laughs> becomes. Um, but how, you know, we are just, we're living and breathing the business. Like we, you know, this is, this is my passion. I quit my job in order to do this and I haven't worked a day in my life. I'm just like, you know, this is my hobby. Um, and we're just, we're still just trying to figure out like, well, how do you, how do you basically make that happen? How do you keep the wheels turning? Um, so they don't, wheels don't fall off. Um, well, but, um, you're certainly lucky in that you're so well received. Not only does yeah. the public like you, but um, I've read so much great uh, wine press. So you are, um, you're, you're impressing the right people and you've created a product that as we were talking about is approachable and um, welcoming for the rest of us, yeah. the non-wine experts out there. This, it's a delicious uh, sparkling wine and certainly fun too. Yeah, and I think it's um, really cool that you know you're, it's a you're making an innovation in sparkling wine. I'm curious, do you get any pushback from traditional side of the sparkling wine world? We get. I've gotten like a handful of people ask, sort of like, when are we going to use corks? Um, hmm. And like, I've got a whole diatribe I can go on about like why I don't use cork, and I, mm -hmm. I gave I told you guys some of it. Um, yeah. And that's basically been it. It's been a few people asking that. Um, and maybe they've just been more curious. Um, but we haven't seen a ton of pushback. I think that it's, you know, when you think about California sparkling wine, there's only a, like a dozen producers in California mm -hmm. uh, of like commercial quantities. Um, like it's a fairly small market. Um, and so any newcomers, I feel like it's really welcome. Like we need more brands of sparkling wine. Um, that can only help us right changing the conversation about sparkling wine or bubbles only being for a special occasion or celebration um, that is an everyday wine right absolutely yeah no we want to make things that like taste good and you want a second glass or a second bottle or, or whatever well I, I totally agree with that and I, I like I said earlier I think more and more people are looking at it that way and it just it's a fun choice and it's sort of like um it just feels more, I don't know, um, party forward, fun forward, <laughs> friendly uh -huh. forward. You know, it's like, hey, let's do sparkling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have to be this big grand occasion. So, um, wow. Well, I have so enjoyed getting to know you and learning about your um, your endeavor with Carbon East. I wish you guys continued success. It sounds like you are headed in the right direction. And um Trying to figure out uh, the growing pains, I think, is a good problem to have, and that you're growing. So lucky you. <laughs> yeah. So well, Dan, thank you so much. Yeah. T um, can you just tell our listeners where they can find Carboneast? Well, we're we're uh, generally available on our website, carboneast.com. That's uh, carbon i s t e carboneast.com. Um, we, we we ship to most of the fifty states and. Um, if you're in the Bay Area, we have a lot of locations in San Francisco, um, you know, Oakland, um, San Jose, and uh, as well down in Los Angeles. What do you mean you have locations? Oh, we have uh, like retail um, locations oh, that carry wine our wine shops that carry yes. your shop. Oh, okay, terrific. Exactly. Well, um, it is certainly uh, certainly worth trying. I absolutely love the wines that I have so far sampled and I'm going to keep trying the rest of your collection. And I notice that you also have a wine club for people to join if they want. Also look for it on uh, your rest restaurant menus. You never know where it might turn up. That's true. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can follow us at Carbon East Wine on Instagram as well. Oh, great. Cool. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Dan, um, it's been a pleasure tasting your wines, um, learning all about you and I'm really excited about the fact that, you know, you have um, this pyrotechnic um, <laughs> side <laughs> hobby, <laughs> shooting shoot off fireworks. That's so cool. Yeah. 
Lots well, of fun. I, did, I saw an article that where you said you wanted to create a revolution in uh, in the wine world, and so I think you're yeah. off to the <laughs> off to a good start. So uh, many thanks to you, and also to your wife Jacqueline, and continued success, and congratulations on your your sweet family of two little ones too. You bet. Well, thank you, Mary, and, and Mary, sure, I appreciate you taking time with me today. Thank we you. loved it, and the pleasure thanks for joining us. Yes. yes, sip, sip, hooray, Dion. Cheers. Cheers, Dan. Cheers. Well, Mary Babbitt, what a fun, sparkling interview with Dan. I mean, what a great thing he is doing in the sparkling wine world to mix things up, shake it up. He and his wife are doing something that's probably been needed for a long time, and it's just making sparkling wine much more accessible to people. Yeah, and not only uh, accessible, also means affordable. So it's not your doesn't have to be this grand special occasion to enjoy um, a, a glass of sparkling wine. And their their youth and their vibrancy comes through in the wine. The, the beautiful, fun labels and this really refreshing um, these refreshing varietals are delicious. So um, this is certainly fun to get to know him better, and I look forward to seeing his wines out out and about. Right. And it just goes to show you that, you know, you think wine kind of, um, there's nothing new in wine, but look at the creativity that, um, we, we heard about today. I mean, it just, it's inspiring and makes you want to go seek out something different. And I think that discovery is what I love about wine. Well, I hope it's also what our listeners love about Sip Soup Hooray, the discoveries on our show. And we're learning as we go, and we love finding new stuff and sharing it with you. So thank you so much for listening. And we hope if you like this episode that you share it with your friends and tell them about our show. Yes. Um, so go to our website, com. You'll find this episode and also past episodes that you can listen to. And you'll also see all the different platforms that you can download for podcasting and whatever your favorite platform is please subscribe to sip sip hooray um, that way you won't miss an episode and um, we also hope you will follow us on social media we are at sip sip hooray podcast on facebook and instagram and we are at sip sip hooray the number one on twitter Yeah, and we've got lots of great episodes coming up. Um, We are looking forward to putting those together for you. And so keep listening to Sips of Hooray. We appreciate it and we love what we're doing and hope you love listening. Yes, so, you know, hopefully you've been listening with a glass of bubbly. If not, it's time to go pop that crown cap. (laughs) I love that. Pop the crown cap. All right, Mary Orland, cheers to you, girl. Cheers to you, Mary Babbitt. Sips of Hooray. Zip, zip, hooray.